You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. There is a, a very famous story in, in the scriptures about a rich young man, is what he's called. And he comes to Jesus with a very honest question, a good question. He says, hey, I, I want to know how can I enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, okay, well, you know, you know the commandments, right? Don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and so on. And the guy says, yeah, of course. Of course I know them. I, I've kept the commandments from my youth. And so here we have a guy who is a, a church-going, law-abiding, self-sufficient man. Uh, he, he is well thought of in society, and he certainly thinks highly of Jesus. I mean, here he is kneeling before Jesus, asking for his advice. If you knew this guy, you would say, oh, he's a good dude. No, yeah, for real. That's, he's good people. That's what you would say. But Jesus sees something different. He sees a guy who, who doesn't understand what it means to be good. In fact, he takes exception with this guy's casual use of the word good. But you know what else he does? When he looks at this guy, you know what he feels toward him? The scripture tells us that he loved him. Here's a guy who's totally upside down, and Jesus' compassionate response is to love him. And because he loves him, this is what he says. He says, good for you. You've kept the law. Here's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. See, Jesus wants to figure out what this guy's real treasure is. And it turns out it's not God after all. Here is a man who came eager to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the text says he went away sad. That's pretty heavy. That's probably not how you're supposed to start sermons, but that story actually sets the stage really well for the passage that we are looking at today. Uh, We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 through 7. If you want to open up or grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you to Matthew 5, that's where we'll be today. The similarities are pretty striking. The rich young man is talking about entering the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking about what it means to be good. He's talking about righteousness. And the Sermon on the Mount is talking about those exact same things. Those are huge themes in this sermon that Jesus gives. Today we come to the thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 20, where Jesus says, unless your righteousness, your goodness, surpasses, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are strong words, shocking words. Jesus is trying to press something on those who are there. I imagine a lot of people were sad when they heard those words because it just felt like something that they could not do in the same way that the rich young man just could not part with his possessions. With the rich young man, Jesus was trying to show him that there's a gap in his life. There's a gap between his, um, the way that he sees himself, his definition of goodness, and 
the way that God sees him, God's definition of goodness. And I think we're all familiar with that kind of gap, right? Uh, Even if you have very little experience with God and his word, you, you yourself have standards in your life that you know you don't even live up to. You don't live up to your own standards, right? And beyond that, we all present ourselves in ways that we know, even in the moment, aren't congruent with what's going on inside in our hearts. We know that. So we're we're familiar with what I I would call here the the goodness gap, the discrepancy between who we are externally and what's going on inside. That's what Jesus is trying to point out, and notice, notice how he does it. He takes them to the scriptures. The guy says, hey, I'm a good guy. You're a good guy. Let's talk about all the good things we've done and congratulate each other. And then at the end, you know, maybe we'll say like it's all good or something like that. Jesus is like, actually, let's talk about the commandments. You know the commands, right? See, that's where he takes them. Why does he do that? I think it's because there is a relationship between the goodness gap and the way that we interact with the Bible the scriptures. There's a relationship between that gap that we feel, the way we think about ourselves, the way God thinks about ourselves, and the way that we interact with the scriptures. In the rest of the sermon, Jesus is going to talk about and illustrate what a life of true goodness really looks like, because that's important. But first, he's going to address this fundamental issue about how we read the Bible. And so just in very simple terms, in these verses, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus is going to teach us how to read the Bible. All right? Let's find our place in the sermon. Um, each week as we go through this, we're, just, we're diving in in the middle somewhere. I just want to make sure we're always cognizant of the whole thing. All right? So very quickly, you know that the backdrop to this sermon, as we have said, is Jesus is going about saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the radical good news about the breaking in of God's presence in the world is that he's, he's coming to the lowly, the poor in spirit, the meek and the merciful. These are the happy ones. And the reason they're the happy ones is because, turns out, happiness, real happiness, is not connected to circumstances or possessions or even safety. It's connected to a real experience of God's presence and power in your life. And God's radical plan is to expand his kingdom throughout the world through these lowly people, through these very unlikely people. They are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And as Jesus is announcing all of this, there is a very deep question in the soul of his hearers that is starting to rise to the surface. And the question is, what about the scriptures? Remember, these are a people who have been formed by the Hebrew scriptures, by what we call the Old Testament, Their very identity and their worship is shaped by these things. And so naturally, they want to know, okay, Jesus, what does this kingdom of God thing, how does that relate to our scriptures? What are you doing with those? The people who were most concerned about this were the scribes and the Pharisees. I call them the devoted uh, because they were uh, the teachers of the law. They were very serious about keeping the law. They were, had strict observances about obeying all of the laws, not just the ones God made, but the ones they made to keep the ones God's made. I mean, just lots of laws. Very dutiful people. Anyone in the crowd, if you ask them, who are the most holy people? They'd be like, those guys, scribes and Pharisees, over there, because they sat by themselves. 
That's, that's them. Um, their main complaint with Jesus, as you read through the Gospels, is just that he's too lax on the laws. Um, they always were arguing about, like, the Sabbath day, for example. And it was, it was serious stuff. After one argument about the Sabbath, they went away and they conspired how to kill Jesus. Okay, so, so escalated rage around religious and political issues, that is not new with us, all right? That was happening then. Jesus was the victim of it. The goodness gap in the, the devoted is obvious. They establish their sense of goodness, their sense of righteousness based on their performance. But the problem, as we will see this week and next week, is that their external behavior isn't congruent with what's going on in their internal world. They look like they're doing the right thing, but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons inside. And Jesus sees their heart. He sees the hypocrisy and the lack of love. There are others in the crowd too, namely those who are not as pious as the scribes and the Pharisees. And they know that. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a weight that crushes them down because the way the scribes and Pharisees used the law was to oppress and judge others. And so th- there are people in the crowd who have ju- the law has just been a crushing weight to them. And when we feel that, when we interact with the scriptures and it just feels like too much, we tend to respond in one of two ways. Uh, and I think they would probably respond the same way. One is we just get real down on ourselves. It's like, man, I will never be good enough. Some of you grew up in a family dynamic where the older siblings were just perfect. They just could do anything wrong and your parents were always bragging on them and you're the younger sibling and nothing you did was ever good enough. So my parents are here today, so I should probably just say that that wasn't the case in our house. That will save me a lot of conversation later to just get that out of the way now. I am the youngest, but it was probably flipped in our house. I was the perfect one. Speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees. But some of you, you've experienced that. You know that, that feeling. Um, others would respond in a different way. Uh, they might just feel like, you know what? I'm, I'm over it. I'm just going to stop trying to do this thing that I can't do. I'm just going to focus on living my life and being happy and just doing whatever makes sense to me. Those are the two. It's a very broad spectrum of people, right? But here's what they have in common. Both of them are suspicious that Jesus is in some way distancing himself, maybe even doing away with the scriptures, the Old Testament, or the law. And that brings us to verse 17, where Jesus anticipates these questions, and to both groups he says, don't think that I've come to abolish or set aside the law and the prophets, which is just shorthand for the Old Testament. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so here's the central thing that we need to know about the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. And I know that just sounds overly simplistic. It is really simple. But it has massively significant implications for how we read the Bible and for our attitude about the Bible. All right, so let's talk real quick about our approach, how we read the Bible The scribes and the Pharisees read the Bible more than you and I do for sure. I mean, it was like their livelihood. 
problem is, is when they read the Bible, they thought it was primarily about them. Have you ever seen Groundhog Day? If you haven't, you're in sin. That's a classic movie. You need to watch that movie. It's one of our favorites. Uh, Bill Murray's character just keeps living the same day over and over. And every day he's trying to figure out, how do I win this beautiful girl over to me? And so he just tries and tries and tries and fails and fails and fails. And there's one scene, might be my favorite scene. I think it's Kendall's favorite scene, where he asks her, what kind of, what are you looking for in a guy? And she starts to list off all of these incredible qualities that she wants in a man and just one after the other. And as she's going, he's sitting there eating like food and, you know, they're in a diner. He just goes, me, 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 also me, me, me. He said, everything that she says, it's about him. This is precisely why he can't win her over. She's pure in heart and he makes it about him and he'll never get her that way. Gonna spoil it. The dramatic shift in the movie is when he starts making it about her. And when that happens, he wins her love. The scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees, their observance of the law, their practices, mostly just made them feel good about themselves. That's why they're so concerned about Jesus throwing away the law. It's not for God's glory, it's for their own glory. In John 5, uh, this is one of the great debates between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Bible's about Jesus. If you want life, come to him. They read the Bible, but they don't know how to read the Bible. That's the point of verse 17. I have not come to do away with the scriptures. I came to fulfill them. And that word fulfill is the key word. Matthew uses this word a lot, seven times. This is the seventh time already in the first five chapters. Over and over again, Matthew is trying to show us that the events of Jesus' life connect him to the whole narrative of the Old Testament. They go together. The word means literally just to fill up or make full. And so think about what that means in light of the storyline of the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, God makes the man and the woman. He blesses them. They're they're full of God's life. And he commissions them. He says, fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth. That's the mission of God. In Genesis 3, we have the fall And so now they are full of shame and there's cursing on the land, there's cursing in childbearing. These are vital parts of filling the earth. And so the task that's before them is still there, but it's just beset with all kinds of difficulty and challenges. But the mission of God hasn't changed at all. You see it over and over. So with Noah, when God starts over, he tells him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. When you get to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations. Then the prophet Habakkuk comes along, and he's like, look, the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the storyline of Scripture. It is about a God redeeming a people for himself, and through them, filling the earth with his glory. It is an amazing story. There's never been a story written like it. I mean, just, just as a piece of literature, nothing compares to it. 
We're talking about something that is written over about a thousand years or more by a lot of different authors, yet there is this unbelievable coherence. There is this interconnectedness of storylines and hyperlinks and symbols and signs and history and motifs. I mean, it is mind-blowing. The more you read it, the more mind-blown you are. If you think the Old Testament is simple and outdated and it doesn't make sense, it just tells me you haven't given yourself to it. It's hard, but give yourself to it. History and law, poetry and prophecy, symbols and signs, and Jesus is saying, all of that points and leads to me. Uh, Pennington, who is a professor at Southern Seminary, puts it this way. He says, all that God has been doing from Genesis 1-1 forward is now coming to its final and climactic moment, and Jesus is the agent of that. The Bible's about Jesus. And when you read it that way, it crushes your sense of self-righteousness. Like in the best possible way. Because you see Jesus for who he is. And when you see him for who he is, nothing else compares. The Bible says that the rich young man went away sad because he had great possessions. He's comparing the offer of Jesus to sell everything and follow him or, you know, keep the status quo. Tough decision for him, and he goes away sad about it. What what did he have? What are we talking about here? Let's just like in modern day terms, what are great possessions? He had like some houses, some cars, he had like a nice retirement account, maybe like a, I don't know, like a personal chef. That's one of my dreams. A personal trainer, not one of my dreams. He had social status, I would suppose. Access to elite people and exclusive experiences. I mean, he had all, okay, that's a lot. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. Until you set it next to the beauty and the wisdom and the truth the glory and the love of Jesus. Then, all that stuff is like a box of old kids' toys. It's like you just got to take it to goodwill someday when you get around to it. If there's a goodness gap in your life, one reason might be that you haven't read the Bible the right way. You've read it as if in some way it's about you and your righteousness. If you've done that, one way to see it is that it's, it's probably made you less like Jesus and made you more judgmental and angry and hypocritical. You just ask your friends if that's true. They'll, they'll tell you. If they're good friends. Jesus tells the man the hard thing because he loved him. Right. Here's your chance. If that's you, this is your chance. Relearn how to read the Bible starting today. Search the scriptures to find Jesus. He is on every page. And if you do that, you'll come away a changed person. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And and in Philippians 3, he lists all of his achievements. I mean, he he was the best. But then he met Jesus. And he went away for like 14 years to relearn how to read the Bible. So it's not easy. 
But he goes away and Jesus teaches them, no, look, let me take you back through all these passages you're familiar with and show you myself in these. And then Paul comes back on the scene. You know what his conclusion is in Philippians 3? I count whatever righteousness I had on my own as literally like a pile of dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It it will literally change you. The simple truth that the Bible is about Jesus not only changes how we read the scriptures, it changes our attitude toward the scriptures. So let's talk about that for a second. As I said, not everyone in the crowd was a teacher of the law. Most of them, most of them weren't. Just regular folks who had their own experiences and their own perceptions related to the Bible and Christians. And uh, that, effect, that affected how they heard these things. Right? I call these people the burdened. Uh, the goodness gap for the burdened is less obvious. I think what happens with them is uh, they just begin to distance themselves from the law or distance themselves from the Bible. They might go through the motion, for sure. I mean, there's appearances to keep up and all of that, but in their actual life, they start to define goodness on their own terms. Here's the, here's the thing. We're not, like as human beings, we, can, we just can't live with a constant sense of shame or inadequacy. We just can't do it. And so the reality of the fall is, is that our eyes are open and we feel shame and we read the commands of the Lord and we feel like we're under the pile, we're inadequate to do them. You just can't exist that way. You can't keep that up. And so eventually you just, you just toss it. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a way to read the Bible that, you know, fits my lifestyle. You start to tell yourself. Maybe some things in the Bible are not as big a deal as other things. Maybe the important thing is just that I love Jesus and he accepts me as I am. Those are things that the burdened start to tell themselves. And all of that creates a gap in the way that I see myself and the way that God sees me. Jesus has some things to say to these people as well. Look at verse 18. Truly, I say to you, hang on there for a second. That is also a very shocking phrase. The, the scribes and the Pharisees did not claim their own authority. They claimed the authority of you know, people that they taught as the laws were passed down. Uh, the prophets would say, thus says the Lord. The, the apostles would say, it's written. Jesus says, I say unto you. And I mean, they would have been, offended by this, shocked by this, because he is claiming authority. He is putting his word on the same level of authority as God's word, and which is true. His word is authoritative and has power. You can't follow Jesus without bringing yourself under his authority. That's what I'm trying to say. I think what he's trying to say. All right, keep going. Truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. So like, you know, we talk about crossing T's and dotting I's. Every little thing, none of it will pass from the law. In other words, the law, all of it, is relevant 
and authoritative in our lives. I think sometimes we think about the Bible as like a resource for our life. Like when I'm feeling a certain thing, I look up that topic, I find some verses, I consult. Or when I just need some inspiration, I go to it, I flip it open. That works sometimes, just in God's providence. But we just treat it like a resource. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think he's saying, truly, I say to you, I will be a very helpful resource for you. I think he's saying, I am the Lord. I have authority. My word has authority in your life. If you want to follow me, you have to come under my authority. That's what verse 19 says. Right? So, of course, some laws are weightier than others, but they all matter. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I think he's just saying, look, we don't get to pick and choose what matters. We don't get to make ourselves the authority and decide which ones really matter for us. Some of us continue to treat the Bible that way. And Ray Ortland says this to us, and I'm going to let him say it because um, if I say it, you'll think I'm mean. If he says it, you'll be like, man, Ray Ortland is a really godly dude. That's really good. Here it is. He says, the Bible is not a menu. It's a whole way of life down to the details because everything shows us more of Jesus. And then he asks us to do a little thought experiment. Pretend you could go back in time and hop into Jesus' life right in, right in the height of his ministry and you could just follow him around for an entire day. You're there for all of it. And so you get to watch him wake up and eat breakfast and you get to watch morning prayers and then you get to watch, you know, cast out demons and heal people. Then you get to watch him like teach the disciples and then nap time, you're there too. You're not even gonna take a nap. You're gonna watch him take a nap, right? You're, if you could do that, you, you would pay attention to every single moment, right? You would know that some moments in his day are more consequential than others, but, but all of it would matter to you because all of it is Jesus. And Ray says, the Bible is our real access, our practical access to the real Jesus. So why don't you pay attention to every single detail? Because every single detail points you to Jesus. I just, the person who says, I love Jesus, but pushes the Bible to the margins of their lives, there's just not a biblical category for you other than maybe, at best, least in the kingdom of God. It is a dangerous place to be because you're just widening the gap of deception in your life. And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that for the same reason Jesus was hard on the rich young man, because I love you. I love you. Why would I want that gap to exist in your life? These verses also raise a lot of questions about, I mean, some of the laws are just strange in the Old Testament if you read them. Mixed fabrics and whatnot. It's just strange stuff, okay? And so they raise a lot of questions like, are you really saying we're supposed to do all of that? Because I watched a documentary about that one time and that was weird, right? I can't address that question. There are good answers to that question. I will just say that uh, the law has a purpose and Jesus fulfilled the law's purpose. And some of those purposes were temporary and they're fulfilled in him. And so, yeah, we can wear like fabrics that are mixed. We can do that now. 
There's much more serious laws, too, that we have to answer. But let me just say that the, the moral principles and norms of the law all carry over. What the laws teach us about God and what it means to be his people, all of that carries over to our lives today. If I get time this week, I'll maybe send something out to you with more on that. Because I know some of you have that question. I think it's a good question. For now, here's what I want you to take away from verses 18 and 19. This. Our attitude toward the Bible reflects our attitude toward God. The priority of place you give the Bible in your life, your affections for the scriptures, All of that reflects the priority of place that God has in your life and your affections for him. They go together. All of that is foundational to the real heart of the matter in verse 20 where Jesus says, okay, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So as we said, the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is their righteousness was an outside-in thing, or really just external. And Jesus is saying, there's a kind of righteousness that I'm really after, that the law is really after, which is a righteousness that comes from the inside out. It It is a changed heart. The prophet Jeremiah says, in the new covenant, I will write my law on their hearts. That, that will make them truly good people who do truly good things for truly good reasons. We're going to get into that in detail next week. Today, all I want you to see is that you won't understand next week or or the sermons that come after that if you don't see what Jesus is saying here about the Bible. And that is, there's a way of treating the Bible that widens the gap, the goodness gap in your life. And there's a way of reading the Bible that enables you to actually become a truly good person. Which Jesus said here is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. It's a big deal. So let me close with this. This is just a a very practical application and tool for you to begin to read the scriptures this way, okay? I got this from Tim Keller maybe 15 years ago uh, in a Bible study that I was doing. Here's a grid that he gives us. He tells us that every, every passage you look at has a command. Either explicitly or implicitly, it's telling you how you should live as God's people. And second, Every command understood rightly condemns us. Because if we understand the true meaning of the command, that it's from the heart, from the inside out, we'll see that we just can't do it. We might be able to do it in spurts, but not wholly and not consistently. Every command condemns us. And that, thirdly, drives us to Jesus. Because as we sung earlier, Jesus fulfills the law's demands. And he does it in two ways. You can look at his life, and I encourage you to do so. Anytime you see a command, don't lie. That Look at his life, and look how honest he is. Even when it costs him. Just see how he interacts with people in this way. So you can see how he literally fulfills the law's demands in his life. But then also look at his death. And you can see that he didn't just do it, he did it for us. Anyone who hangs their righteousness on the law is cursed. And Galatians says that Jesus became a curse for us. But then, fourthly, and this is the key thing, if we receive that, Jesus gives us his spirit 
through whom we are actually able to obey the commands of God. Listen just very quickly, it's the last thing to what Paul puts it. Paul says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the, the law couldn't save us, it can't change us, not because anything's wrong with the law, but because of our flesh, because of our sinfulness. And God's done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, Jesus took our place. He satisfied the demands of the law for us. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. And he means really in our lives because we walk not according to flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. When you read the Scriptures this way, they come alive because you come alive in the Spirit. Jesus uh, looked at that young man. He loved him. And I think, and he looks at us today, wherever you are on this, you're a Pharisee, you've given up, you're like, I'm just here for the first time, I don't exactly know what you're talking about, wherever you are. Jesus looks at you and his, his primary disposition toward you is he loves you. I mean, he just flat out loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to press a little bit. But the pressing is an, actually, it's an invitation to come and to follow him. Following him is the only way, the only hope that we have of becoming truly good people. And that invitation is for us today. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.